Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So we're going to get into, obviously, Super Bowl 53. Paul and I will give you our predictions, break down the matchup a bit between the Patriots and the Rams as we inch closer to the big game in Atlanta. But we're going to start with some Giants news. And Saquon Barkley has been named the Pepsi Rookie of the Year, which is voted in by the fans. We heavily promoted it here on Giants.com. There are a number of finalists. You had Browns running back Nick Chubb, Colts linebacker Darius Leonard, Broncos running back Philip Lindsay, and Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. So Saquon Barkley was given that award in Atlanta today. And the true Rookie of the Year award, Paul, which is the AP Rookie of the Year award, is going to be handed out Saturday night at NFL Honors. So there's a variety of Rookie of the Year awards, but certainly a nice acknowledgement by the fans to see what Saquon Barkley did and at least take that into consideration and give him a piece of hardware here. I object. You object? I object. You called it the true Rookie of the Year award on Saturday. It may be the more prestigious... Rookie of the Year award because actually I'm not wrong. It's the NFL Honors Rookie of the Year award as a, as selected by the Associated Press, but that doesn't mean that this one is fake. By saying that one is true, you're implying all the other ones are fake. Well, so I I take offense. You could take to offense. your characterization. I'm just preaching. The truth. That's all I'm preaching. I'm not trying to take anything away from Saquon Barkley, but a lot of people, they always ask, in fairness, Paul, because you know we were talking about magazines give out Rookie of the Year awards. You Sporting have the Pro Football does. Writers of America right. give out the Rookie of the Year award. Yeah. Baker Mayfield had won the overall Rookie of the Year award. Barkley won the Offensive Rookie of the Year award for the Pro Football Writers. So you read a Rookie of the Year award every single day, and you're trying to make sense of it. So it's important to note NFL Honors Saturday night. Those are the true awards recognized by the league, by the way. Because the, the league hands press. out the trophies. Correct. Controls Correct. The vote. I, yeah. I'll go with that, but but the word true kind of rankles me. I'm sorry. It just does. Okay, so here's my question. How it, do is, you it, is, it, is, it is the NFL Honors Rookie of the Year Award, the Associated Press Rookie of the Year Award. To say it is the true, uh, that, that just it defames the rest of the awards. And the Pro Football Writers Association of America Award is a legit award. That doesn't deserve to be demeaned by you because it wasn't handed well, out not on Saturday. I'm just, once again, I'm just laying out the logistics. For example, the Pepsi Rookie of the Year Award is a fan vote. That is correct. That is a fan vote. What award in any professional sport is given out based on the fan vote? Yeah, that's a fan vote, so, much like an all-star vote would be. Exactly. So, so to be honest with you, if I were to rank the awards, I'm not so sure that I wouldn't put the Pro Football Writers Association Award even higher than the AP one. If I were to rank it as, as somebody who says, hey, what has more validity? Well, but remember, Barkley didn't win that award. I'm just clarifying. I understand that, that. but I, well, I don't want you to get all. No, worked this up has over nothing this. to do with Barkley. Well, well no, but you, no, well, this has to do with the validity just, of the award. Okay, but the fact that it didn't go to a giant, I thought it would have ruffled your feathers. Doesn't That's bother why. me at all. Okay, I just make it sure. That's fine. Uh, it, the Pro I'm Football playing, Writers playing, said that Mayfield was the NFL Rookie of the Year and Barkley was the Offensive Correct. Rookie yeah, of the Year. Yeah, they have two different classes. And then I forget who they named defensive. I forget who they named. Was it Leonard? Well. Yeah, it may have been Leonard. I think it was yeah. Darius Leonard. Anyway. Uh, just as a matter of bookkeeping, folks, uh, Beckham and Lawrence Taylor are the only two Giants to have won the Associated Press 
NFL Rookie of the Year award. And according to Lance, that's the true award. Well, not according to me, according to the rest of the no, nation according as well. to but you, anyway, yes. that is the Go true ahead, award. Yes. It doesn't say true award on the actual it's trophy, the does it? It's the one that the NFL acknowledges. Do they, do they inscribe true award on the trophy? No, they, the word true. The NFL, though, gives I'm, its seal just, of approval. That's what matters at the I'm end. I'm just checking with you. Now, uh, I'm also having fun with you. Of you course, understand? yes. Now, uh, two other Giants have also won a Rookie of the Year award. Uh, the Pepsi Rookie of the Year award, the one that's done by fan vote, was also won by Jeremy Shockey. Okay, uh, he pulled off that one and... Uh, subsequently, uh, you know, that was the first one of the Pepsi, by the way, NFL Rookie of the Year Award honorees. That was the first year they did it. Well, it's a relatively new award compared yes. to some of the others. Shockey was the first winner, and they have subsequently done one every year since. So get a picture on that. The Pro Football Writers one's been around a long, long time. So has the Associated Press one. Uh, the other award that is defunct is the one given by UPI. The United Press International was a wire service for you young folks out there who don't remember. The Associated Press and United Press International were the two main sources of national and international news that were obtainable by syndication through all of the various media around the world. UPI has since, I don't know if it's actually folded, I believe they might have been bought out by Reuters. I think that they still exist to some degree. They still exist to some degree. I think in a limited basis in the U.S., mostly overseas. Yeah, it's an international news agency. Right. Now, United Press International gave up their award many, many years ago. And as I said, they have folded up most of their United States operations. But they did have a full-fledged sports department and covered events much like the Associated Press did. Anyway, going back into the mid-'70s, Offensive lineman John Hicks, who was a uh, lineman out of Ohio State, was a big, big guy. Uh, he was the NFC Offensive Rookie of the Year. They voted for one in the NFC and one in the AFC. He was the NFC's Offensive Rookie of the Year uh, about three years later. You know, his career just took a downturn, uh, had attitude issues, weight issues, didn't play very well after that initial rookie season, and the Giants shipped him to the Pittsburgh Steelers, as I recall. Um, and he was, and he never did anything for them, and that was it. So it was a short-lived career. Uh, John Hicks, in fact, passed away, uh, I think, a couple of years ago, I think, from diabetes. He had a lot of health issues. Uh, but he was another giant. So it's Hicks and Shockey who have won lesser rookie of the years. Uh, Beckham and Taylor, who won Associated Press Rookies of the Years. And now we can throw Barkley. Uh, into that mix also as, as a, a giant, Pepsi winner. Yeah. And now we will see on Sunday if he wins the AP one also. I just wanted to clarify this because I know we got a lot of young folks out there who just don't remember the olden days. And guys like John Hicks, I mean, he won what he won. He, he deserves his credit. Well, that's why it's always important to have some old folks like yourself on the program to help balance exactly. out the age gap. Yes. Oh, and I'm proud to say well, it. I'm, I'm very When ha- you have a franchise have that us. has the kind of tradition and history as the New York football Giants... It should never be ignored, ever. And that's why I'm here to represent those folks. Absolutely. You're here to balance out the affairs. Now, you young whippersnappers on the program. Correct. We Not including be... Fiegels, by the way, because he's as old as I am. Okay, so Jeff gets thrown into your category then. We yes. have uh, Although he, his, the division His knowledge here. of Giants history, I believe, only begins 
in the 2000s. Well, but his knowledge of the league is not too shabby. He's been a, his knowledge of the league is sensational. Yes, but exactly. I can go back to the 50s with yes, my well, historical I mean, perspective. It's no competition with you here. Anyway. I'm not even going to go there. The encouraging news for Saquon Barkley is the fact that each of the last two Pepsi Rookie of the Year winners have gone on to win AP Rookie of the Year, that being Dak Prescott in 2016, Alvin Kamara 2017. Barkley could perhaps make it a trifecta this coming year. So that's at least something that's encouraging. And personally, I've always thought Barkley is a lock for the award when you look at his individual achievements, his highlights. Baker Mayfield certainly is worthy of being in the conversation. Without I, question. I just think that Barkley, the impact he's made, Barkley also was a starter from day one. Not that Barkley didn't start the majority of the season, but, you know, it took him a game or two. Mayfield, I'm talking about. Right. So I think when you take all that into consideration, to me, I'd be pretty surprised if Saquon doesn't win the award. Now, with that being said, and we talked about this briefly when they gave the list of the finalists. It's unbelievable to me that Quentin Nelson, Bradley Chubb, mm-hmm. and Derwin James were not even on the finalist list for the Pepsi Rookie of the Year award. And that they put players such as Nick Chubb, who once again, Nick Chubb was very productive for the Cleveland Browns, but I think Bradley Chubb and Quentin Nelson, if you look at impact, I don't even think it's close. So I'm, I I'm, would agree. I'm very curious to see, and Paul and I tried to look this up, how they get to the finalists for the Pepsi Rookie of the Year award. Is that Pepsi's decision? Is that the NFL's decision? Is that a group of writers' decision? And so forth. You know, all of those pieces of information are not necessarily up and about on the internet, easily accessible. But when you don't know that information, you sort of wonder, well, you know, how are they randomly coming up with five or six guys' names and so forth? Yeah, don't know. And and I'm with you on those other two guys, no question about it. I think Quentin Nelson and Bradley Chubb absolutely should have been in the top five finalists uh, and should should have gotten their end of support as well. My thinking on Barkley is simple. To be one of only three players in NFL history to have 2,000 yards from scrimmage in a single season, that is historic. Okay? What Baker Mayfield did was spectacular. Okay? You liked him from the get-go. You wanted him to be the class of this quarterback class last season. And at the moment, it looks like you were right. Uh, I was not a Baker Mayfield guy at all. I I did not think he would have a spectacular and stellar NFL career. Now, after one season, he's off to a good start. We'll see where he lands in five years. But having said that, what he did was spectacular. It was not historic. Barkley was historic. Barkley deserves the award. From an NFL perspective, historic, and from clearly a Giants perspective, historic. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, just from a big-picture perspective, and we're not here to revisit the draft after one season, but to your point, and I think you alluded to this a little bit, Paul, the top of the first round in this year's draft, I think, yielded some really good results across the board. You know, we focus, obviously, a lot on the Giants here, but... We talked about Baker Mayfield. I mean, Darnold looks promising for the Jets. Here's a pick that I wasn't very excited about, but I've got to give the Browns credit. I think Denzel Ward looks like a really nice player in the secondary for Cleveland. Was a bit banged up this season, but mm-hmm. that could turn out to be very well. Bradley Chubb going to the Broncos. We brought him up. Quentin Nelson, it goes without saying, for the Colts. And by the way, in an ideal world, Nelson should also get heavy consideration for AP Rookie of the Year. Not saying he should beat out Barkley, Paul, but in an ideal world, heavy consideration. However, we don't live in an ideal world. It's very hard to compute what offensive linemen bring to the table, and that's why, realistically, they don't get a lot of the consideration. But if I were voting and it would be an ideal world, I think Nelson deserves a lot of credit for what he brought to that close offensive line. 
Roquan Smith with the Bears. Mike McGlinchey with the Niners. Jury's still out, obviously, with Josh Rosen and the Cardinals now that they have a new head coach. Mm. We'll see where that goes. Deron Payne, the Redskins. Marcus Davenport, the Saints. And, it was a productive first round. I mean, I'm already at 15 here. It was yeah. a very, very good first round, at least on initial impression. Again, yeah. you got to wait to the end of those first yeah. contracts to see if any of those guys get second contracts. That's when you can really evaluate, okay, if the guy gets a second contract with his current team, that really tells you of his value more than anything else. Well, and that's what we I mean, if they about want him time. back, that tells you that, that it was really worth it. Well, when you draft a player in the first round, we always talk about, obviously, you want to be Hall of Fame stature. I think that goes without saying. But whoever says we want to draft a guy so that he plays four to five years with our organization and then we move on, to right. me, that's not a good pick. Right. The whole point is you want him to get to the second contract. So I'm 100% in agreement, and that's why when you evaluate players, I'm not talking about from the fan lens. I'm talking about from the front office lens, Paul. That's why it's important for everybody to be on the same page when you go around the room and you get opinions because if everybody's across the board, then that means they all don't necessarily believe, forget Hall of Fame stature, they all don't believe necessarily that that player is going to be worthy of earning a second contract. And how about getting to that criteria before you even get to the Hall of Fame criteria? You've got to think, you've got to have confidence. They're going to have an initial impact with the length of the rookie contract, and then they're going to put us in a position where there's no doubt about it, we're going to want to give them a second contract. You have to be able to meet that criteria. Now, just as a matter of, uh, of historical perspective, and it, again, these are more outliers than anything else, but just in the last 10 years, some of the guys who won one of the Rookies of the Year awards who haven't necessarily gone on to superstar careers. Prolific careers. And so All right. Forth. Sheldon Richardson of the Jets. Good player, but not a perennial superstar. Okay. Uh, Brian Cushing of the Houston Texans. Who's now retired. Ran into PED problems as well as injuries, but I think people thought he was going to be more than that. Um, Gerard Mayo with, with the Pats. I mean, he came out of school highly touted. Was defensive rookie of the year and I'd say he probably didn't do everything that they thought he was going to do. Uh, D'Amico Ryans from the Texans, again, a good player, but not a super-duper star year after year. And then on the other side, Eddie Lacy? Come on. He's not a superstar. Not by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a rookie of the year. RG3 was a rookie of the year. How'd that work out? Injury, unfortunately. All right, well. That really cost him, yeah. Running like a crazy man quarterback, that's what you're going to get. Uh, Sam Bradford. Injuries, too. Percy Harvin. Injuries, migraines. Okay. Um, Vince Young. Another one. He so, didn't necessarily live up to his football. Cadillac Williams was an offensive rookie of the year back in 2005. So, you know, it's not a lock when you no, hear that a guy is a rookie of the year that he's going to be a superstar and warranted of those kinds of accolades into his second contract. Some of these guys turned out to be good players, solid players, but not perennial superstars. No, I think that's a very fair point. I would say the last four years have looked pretty good. Odell Beckham, Todd Gurley, Dak mm -hmm. Prescott, Alvin Kamara, and then if Barkley joins that rank, you could say we're in a period of time where it seems as if not only are they having a flash here or there in their rookie year, but they're building upon that. But you're right, laundry list of players before that that had an unbelievable first year and didn't necessarily build upon that. So, you know, that's more of a reason why we constantly say it's an inexact science. And that's why you want to make a decision as an organization 
where everybody's on the same page. You've done a full evaluation so that you're not reaching and you're also not just going after the hot commodity whose stock rose right before the draft. Mm-hmm. Those conversations are important. It's not just, well, let me look at the individual that had you know one or two great games during his college career and everybody's so high on him. Hype doesn't necessarily add to true value when it comes to the National Football League. And you can say the same thing with respect to other professional sports. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Very good. I, I thought you I, wanted to add something else to that. No, I, well, you know what? If you want me to just throw something else out, I think the biggest bust of all the rookies of the year since 2000 might have been linebacker Kendrell Bell with the Pittsburgh Steelers who was a Pro Bowl selection and a rookie of the year in his first season and for his career, wound up with 20 sacks. I mean, he did absolutely nothing Well, and that's after what, that initial season. Well, and this conversation certainly backs our philosophy that anyone who wants to revisit a draft after one year is wasting their time. Well, exactly. That's the whole point of this exercise. It's to prove that <clears throat> there's individual players that have had tremendous rookie campaigns and they weren't able to build all, off of it. All you so. can say is, hey, these guys, and Barkley's certainly one of them, have gotten off to a great start. But, again, to really evaluate whether or not it was the right pick or the wrong pick, you really got to go four or five years down the line, yeah. see what happens when they get their fifth-year option picked up, if they do, and then furthermore, what happens when that second year, uh, second contract comes around. Absolutely. We're going to get to your phone calls. We're going to get to your tweets in a few minutes. But the other big subject, obviously, that we want to cover is Super Bowl 53. We're on the horizon of the big game, Sunday in Atlanta, a matchup between the Patriots and the Rams. Patriots making their ninth Super Bowl appearance in 18 years, which is remarkable in the day and age of football now where parity is probably the best term to describe the current league. I know Paul has his own term, and I won't necessarily duplicate his term. I'll go with my own. No, no, you and can do so, no, but no, you've got to pay I me. Well, I don't want to pay you, so therefore I'm not even going to say the term. It's copyrighted. That's more the of a reason. The sand of mediocrity. I am more than comfortable with parity. I also think yours is a little bit disrespectful to the state of the league, but that's a whole other argument. Wow. And then, of course, the Rams, who have been one of the top offenses over the last two years since Sean McVay took over. Both of these teams ranked in the top four in scoring offenses in the NFL. So I don't want to hear that one team has a significant edge over the other. The Rams certainly averaged slightly more points than the Patriots. And both of these teams had a knack for putting points on the board. To me, the biggest difference is the defenses, which I wouldn't describe either one of them as juggernauts, but... I think New England's defense has been far more consistent from start to finish Mm -hmm. when you take into consideration the entire regular season slate compared to the Rams, which have had flashes here or there. They've had some impressive games. They've had some games where you're like, "Uh, what's going on? And a little bit of the in-between. So New England, to me, is the more complete team if you were to look at it on paper as well as reality. I would agree with that. And I also believe, and, and I've been talking to football people for the last couple of weeks about this outside the organization, and we all seem to feel that the linebackers are the Achilles unit for both of these squads. And you have to believe that Belichick and Brady, Brady in particular, not so much Belichick, although Belichick does come up with the chameleon game plans that the Patriots use to beat teams any which number of ways. It does seem to me that Brady will be the master at picking on the Rams' Achilles much more than Goff will be able to decipher and pick on the Patriots' Achilles. 
in my opinion. Well, especially from an experience standpoint. Brady's been exposed, Paul, to your point, to a lot of different looks than Jared Goff has. So, I mean, I Oh, he's seen it all. Yeah. There's not much <laughs> you're going to throw at Brady at this point that he hasn't necessarily been mentally and physically prepared for. But I'm just not necessarily sold on the fact that the Rams' defense is going to be consistent from start to finish. And here's the other X factor. I, I know, you know, from seeing the Giants-Patriots Super Bowls, clearly the blueprint is you got to put pressure on Brady. Right. I think the Rams have had some games where they've shown they have the ability to put some pressure on the opposing offensive line, and then they also have shown some games where the quarterback's been extremely comfortable. So it's been hit or miss. Whereas New England, I think, has been a little bit more consistent this postseason in terms of what they've been able to do against Phillip Rivers and what they were able to do against Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is a factor that I think is extremely important. The trenches, Paul, every single Monday we've come on after playoff games, what have we talked about? The trend this postseason, right? The trend has been the team that has won in the trenches. And it's not just getting to the quarterback. It's the that ability, team is 10-0. Yeah, the ability to run the football, the ability to protect your own quarterback, so all of those things are encompassed under the umbrella of trenches play, and I think New England, once again, has been far more consistent in that department than the Rams. And at this time of the season, I'm going with the much more consistent team. I think this is going to be a highly contested close game. They all have been. Every single Patriots Super Bowl has been. Why should this one be any different? But in the end, I think the Patriots are going to make the necessary plays, and I think they're going to wind up winning their sixth Super Bowl during this period. I think Gronk in particular has come on strong during this postseason. He's playing about as well as he's ever played. I think he's Especially as a blocker, by the way. He has been sensational. Deserves a lot of credit in that department incredible blocking job during this postseason and he looks as though he's finally healed up and maybe he knows this is his last hurrah and that's why he's given it everything he's got and then some to go out strong he just is playing at a very very high level right now like he is the best tight end in football and I don't think there's any question right now the way he's playing that's the kind of play that we knew of him three four years ago before he started having all those surgeries and they started the scotch tape him together uh, he's just been phenomenal. I think he's going to be a big difference maker in this game. They're not going to be able to deal with him. And then I think, quite frankly, the other thing is you mentioned about the Rams' defensive line. For me, you know, Brady hasn't been sacked once during this playoff yeah, which run. which is remarkable. Okay, not once. The Rams may get two, but if they get two sacks and only hit them five or six times, it doesn't mean anything. Remember, when the Giants played Brady in the Super Bowl and they hit him like 13 times, okay? They were impactful. That's that's the big number. It's not, did you get a sack? Did you get two sacks or three sacks, but you only hit them five times? No, no. If you sacked them only four times, let's say, but you hit them 13 times, that's the number. And I don't see the Rams getting there. I'll give you a perfect example outside of the Giants Super Bowl. The year that the Patriots did not make it to the Super Bowl and I basically should clarify this because it's very rare that that happens. But Do they was, ever not make it? <laughs> the AFC Championship game, the year is escaping me right now. It was when they went to Denver. Steven Gaskowski missed the extra point, yeah. and then they had to go for two at the end of the mm -hmm. game. If you remember, Denver, I went back because I was talking about this on my Syria show. Do you know that the Broncos in that game recorded 17 quarterback hits? That's sensational. 17 quarterback hits. Sensational. I mean, that's more than I think the Giants had in any of the Super yeah. Bowls. So, once again, the reason I'm bringing that up is we're talking about what do you have to do to get to the Patriots and wear them down. 
You have to get to the quarterback. And, Paul, how many times do we say that every week when we talk about a Giants game? It's easier said than done, though. Of course it is. So, you know, yeah, the Rams are going to go in. Wade Phillips is talking to his defense all week and saying, and Dominick Sue, Michael Brockers, Aaron Donald, guys got to win your individual battles. Or when Aaron Donald is double team, Brockers and Sue, we expect you to get to the quarterback. Okay, but go ahead and execute. We can sit here all day and tell you you got to do it. Let's make this really simple. And I've been saying this since back in the mid-'80s. I was only a few years on the beat. And I remember— By the way, 2015 season, Dave, our producer, just looked it up. So it was the— Okay. AFC Championship game following the 2015 season. Broncos won by two points. I learned very quickly yeah. from watching Bill Parcells in my first few years on the beat, watching him and Bill Belichick and, and Ron Earhart as the offensive coordinator on that team. I learned very, very quickly within about three years that any coordinator, any head coach and or coordinator who is any good at his job, if he's, if he's, you know, if he's good, it doesn't have to be great. He can just be good even. He can figure out the perfect blueprint to beat you. That's not the problem. The problem is, how does he get his pieces to get those things done? Because there were many times he could say, well, this is what we got to do, X, Y, and Z, to beat that team. But we got a couple of guys hurt on the line. We got an injured wide receiver. We got a running back who's suspended. We never had a tight end who could do that. So even though I know what three things need to be done to beat you, I don't have the roster that's capable of doing those three things on Sunday. So how can I scheme to give my guys a chance to get as much of those things done as possible so that I'm giving them the best chance to win? And then it's up to them to execute and fulfill the opportunity to max out your winning potential. That's really what the whole equation is in the National Football League every single Sunday. The blueprint to beat a team for the good coaches, I'm not talking about the inexperienced guys or the guys who just don't really have a concept and not they're not really good head coaches. We've had some of those in the league over the years. I'm not trying to insult anybody. But the good head coaches, they can build you the proper blueprint. That's not the hard part. The hard part is how do you get your pegs to fit into those holes to give those guys a chance, and then will they execute it? So there there are a couple of parts to that, but the blueprint itself is the easiest part. For any good coach or any good coordinator, the blueprint's not hard. That's pretty easy. Just goes hand-in-hand with the execution part. So we, we know how to beat the Patriots. But good luck getting your personnel to get home all the time. That's my bigger point. Now, there are two things that concern me about the Rams. James White and who matches up with him in terms of the linebacking core because they I can't. think the Patriots are going to utilize him out of the backfield just like Alvin Kamara and what he did against the middle of the Rams defense. So that's one concern. And then the other concern is it was open season. Now, the Rams I don't think are equivalent to the Kansas City defense, but it was open season for New England right over the middle for Tom Brady. Chris Hogan slash Julian Edelman, which Brady obviously leans on heavily, who's going to stop those guys? And if they got to bring LaMarcus Joyner, who's played corner slash safety, they got to bring him up at the line of scrimmage, Paul. I'm a bit concerned about the Rams again because then that exposes them on the back end. So the James White dynamic, the Hogan slash Edelman dynamic in the middle of the field, if the Rams can't shore up those issues, it could be a very long evening for that defense. Well, and let's not forget that from the Patriots' perspective, 
their defense is going to be able to show a lot of things to Goff and McVay yep. that will trick them and fool them. And as we have discussed many times, and John and I even talked about it on the program, I think it was last week, when Jonathan Casillas got here and told us when he was with the Patriots and he had joined that locker room and said, okay, where's the playbook i got to study? And they said, oh, no, 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 no. There's no season-long playbook. We get a different one every week. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it was John who called Belichick the chameleon, or was it you? No, it probably was him. It was John. He said, he's a chameleon coach. Yeah. In that, and because I was saying, well, he can beat you any one of a number of ways. Whatever style you want to play, he'll do it. When they say styles make fights, styles make football games too. But you can pick whatever tempo and whatever style you want to play. Belichick can adapt to it. So yeah, when John said he's a chameleon coach, John was right. That's a, I, I like the term. Well, we've seen games where he'll put the ball in Brady's hands. 45, 50 times, or they may run it 50 times. I mean, it could fluctuate. And then, by the way, he'll change it at halftime. Exactly. And (laughs) that's what football is about. It's about a game of adjustments, and you can't fault the Patriots because more often than not, those adjustments have been effective. We want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Your thoughts on Super Bowl 53, Giants offseason plans, as well as Saquon Barkley winning the Pepsi Rookie of the Year Award, 201-939-4513. Let's open up the phone lines. Doug is in Rochester. He gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Doug? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. Doing right, Doug. Wow. Well, please call again sooner. I'm working. I'm back in third shift now. I'll be able to talk to you guys. Uh, I just want to congratulate uh, Mr. Barkley on this Pepsi Award. I think that he um, he'll win the AP award, and I think he's just going to get better and better. So yeah, it's it's easy to see he's got a lot of ups. Now he's just got to fulfill it. Yeah, and um, I just wanted to um, say about the Super Bowl one quick comment: the Rams, if they can get to Brady, like you said, and stop that middle pass, they have. I think that's how the Patriots have been winning these games over the middle, and Brady just sitting back in the pocket. If they can stop that, then they got a good chance to win. So. Yeah, you you um, want Brady to throw as many of those balls outside the numbers as possible, because yeah. in the interior of the field, him him and Gronk and Edelman are just too deadly. Hogan can yeah, do it to yeah. you too. Yeah, Hogan's a guy to watch out for, absolutely. Yeah, um, I want you. I want to ask you the, the Giants pick got the sixth pick. Um, what what other what other picks do they have? Do they have two in the first, second round, or not? One in the first, one in the second, none in the third. And then we think they're going to wind up having three in the fourth because they got okay. one in, in, in a trade, and then also they think they're going to get a compensatory. So that's how okay, it shakes so, down in the first okay, four rounds. So do you guys agree that um, the pass rusher, the, the offensive right tackle, and the free safety are the most positions to address right off the top? I think those three are excellent targets. I mean, I would definitely put them in the top five of priority list. I, I, but let's see what happens at free agency, too, though, in all fairness. Sure. Which comes first. Yeah. And I think you could just say defensive back because, by all means, they could use another cover corner as what much as as much as they could what use a free safety. Linebacker. You know what I mean? Well, I think, and again, this is where we're getting into these morphing positions of the current NFL because when you talk about corner, you're talking nickel corner or border corner. You just say cornerback. Because those are different positions, but you you need them both. Uh, with yeah. with 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 what I'm saying is, they need a bona fide edge rusher. That new term is coming to into uh, into vogue now in the NFL. 
edge rusher. It's like a new position. All it really is is either a pass-rushing defensive end or a pass-rushing outside linebacker. They call him now just an edge rusher. It sounds like, my friend, that you're a little bit on the older side like I am. You probably remember when wide receivers were called flankers and split ends. Now they just yeah, call them yeah. wide receivers. Yeah, because they they a flanker. You have a yeah, flanker on the line and a, a wide out. Yeah, you remember? I, I know what you're saying. The, you know, the guy from Denver, the linebacker. He's a good example. I can't think of his name. The linebacker. Von Miller. Yeah. Huh? Von Miller. Yeah, he Von Miller is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Linebacker pass rush. Yeah, just just yeah. call yeah. him an edge guy. So I agree with you. I think they do need offensive tackle. They need edge rusher. They need defensive back. Quite frankly, you know, they need a free safety, sure, but they also yeah. need a, a cover corner. I don't think there's any doubt yeah. about that, too. Hey, okay. Well, well Lance, Paul, I want to leave you with this, and uh, this is just um, something I've been thinking about. Say that um, the Giants' offense end up next year, like, fifth in the NFL, and, you know, they bounce back to three, maybe seven, and then the defense is 15. They may go up to 13, maybe bounce back to seven. But the bottom line ain't up. The offices of the fifth in the NFL and fifteenth defense, and they have the decent special teams. Can you, if they do that, can you see them winning the NFC East and maybe a first round by the playoffs? Wow, you're projecting really far ahead, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just want you guys' perspective. If that happens, what do you guys think? Uh, I think it's realistic to expect right, Doug, that they could be a playoff. The call. Thanks yeah. so much for waiting. I think it's realistic that they could be a playoff team with those kinds of results, but. You don't know exactly where the rest of the division is going to land right now. But they certainly should be in a playoff conversation if they're in the top 15 defensively and offensively and special teams. Why wouldn't they be heavily in the playoff conversation? Well, that would be an indication of a consistent team. So I'm in agreement with you. I, I think it would certainly put them in the conversation for the postseason. We've seen some unique circumstances where you can have no doubt. unbelievable rankings and it doesn't necessarily work out because you play a lot of close games. But, yeah, those would be excellent numbers to strive for. And if they are achieved, yeah, i definitely put them in the playoff conversation. I say this all the time. The NFC East, it's such a merry-go-round. You never know what you're really going to need to win this division because nobody's been able to duplicate quite often one year after the other. I mean, the closest is the Cowboys. They've won three division titles in five years. Nobody's won back-to-back titles since the Eagles in the early 2000s. So anybody going in to 2019, no matter what shape your roster is in, Paul, you figure, hey, it's a wide-open door again, the NFC East. We got a legitimate shot. Well, and by the way... How has the NFC Eastern Division title worked out for those teams? To be quite frank with you, the Cowboys haven't gone to the Super Bowl since how long? Well, it's been certainly some time. Okay, well, so winning well, but, those division titles meant nothing. You just being, just getting in. We have learned over the last many years that just getting in as a wild card is 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 what it's all about. Who, you know, does it really matter no, if you, you win or not? Now, it does matter to try to get the bye. I'll give you that. I do think that the bye is significant. In recent history, because there haven't been many wildcard teams that have gone on great runs. Right. I mean, we've had the top four seeds in this year make it to the conference championship But games. But winning your division and then having to play the first round game, I'm not so sure that there's a whole lot of edge to that. And I don't know what the results say. Don't call me up now or get me on Twitter and say, oh, these are the one loss records of the teams who have had to play first round games. But to me, as a, if I were a coach, the buy is worth a lot to me. 
I don't know that having to play a first-round home game as a division winner is necessarily something to throw a pizza party about. Well, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head as well. So it's hard for me to counter. I will say this. You win the division, you're guaranteed to go to the playoffs. So sign me up for winning the division. And that's great. But if you're going to say to me, you know, what's the difference between you being a wildcard team and you being a division winner that has to play a first-round game? In some cases, that home field advantage can be a big deal. But in a lot of cases, it's not that big a deal. It's still ultimately about the matchups. It's about what team you're playing and how they match up against you more than the home field advantage. Yeah, but I think any team will tell you the, the goal going into a season is you want to win your division. Sure. Because then you're not going to worry about the Because you don't have to worry about looking at the scoreboard. Yeah, you don't have to worry about I the get last it. week of the season I get or whatever. It. So to me, you go in, you try to win the division. It's been a wide-open conference, been a wide-open division, specifically in the NFC East, and there's no reason why all four teams won't feel at least optimistic heading into 2019, regardless of the question marks, I think, surrounding Just the remember team. the Giants' last two trophies were won as wild cards. Well, one year they won the division. 2011, they won the division. Yeah, but they had to, they, they had to, they had to play the, the wild card game. Yeah, they had to play the wild card, but they did win the division in 2011. Because Correct, they the but they had, to, they, had, they still had to play the wild card game. No, they, meaning they, they had to play they the didn't extra get a game. They didn't get a Correct. That's, they had that's to play the extra game. Correct, yes. Again, if you got to play in that wild card game, that wild card weekend, you don't get the bye. And they, they twice, Coughlin's teams did it. So God bless them. Well, but what I'm saying is in recent history. I'd rather history, avoid that if I could. In recent history, though, and I don't know off the top of my head, I think it's either the f- Last five or the last six years, no wild card team has gone to the Super Bowl. Have no even made it to the conference championship game. Oh, is that true now yeah. too? So okay. when you take that into consideration, it's heavily favored in terms of teams that win the division and get the bye. Well, the the that bye, I, I, and that's, but history. that was my point. Yeah, to me, the bye week is a very very big enchilada. I don't know that winning a division and having to play the wild card game to me is such a terrific advantage. That's all I'm saying. In terms of the value, winning the division is nice, but getting the bye now, that's something to be really happy about. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Don, who is in Texas. He joins us on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Don? Hey, how you doing, Lance and P-Dot? Hi. Don, what's on your mind? All right. All right, guys, I'm going to go over a couple points, and then they're going to lead to a couple questions. But first, you're right, Lance. I agree with you about the Patriots. I I see the Patriots blowing the Rams out in the Super Bowl. Defensively, the Rams are just a mess. They're not going to be able to get to him. And the the Patriots just schematically coaching defense. They're going to confuse Goff the way the Bears did a couple weeks ago. I just see Goff having a horrible game, and I see Brady just say, I don't see the Patriots losing two Super Bowls in a row. First on that note. Second, the other thing I want to touch on is – been hearing a lot of talk between the Haskins and what we're going to do in the draft. And I called a couple weeks ago. I spoke to P. Dot. He knows what I think of Haskins. I, I think the world of this guy. There's a couple things on why I feel that. There's other things I'm going to add on there. And if he's there at six, it's a no-brainer. You take him. I think people undermine how hard it was for that Ohio State program to play with the distractions that were going on with Urban Meyer. And the one thing that was a rock through all of that was Haskins. He elevated his game of play. He elevated the team. He kept it together. Of course, their their standing coach did a lot to do with that. Haskins has got the it factor. This guy can ball, which is why I still feel Haskins at six, if he's there, it's a no-brainer. The other things I wanted to ask about was um, 
I have a couple bold predictions, and it's going to lead to a question on how, what percentage do you think that the likelihood of this is going to happen? One, bold prediction, one, I think Landon Collins is going to get traded. I really see him going to the Chiefs, either second or third round, and I see possibly Case Keenum ending, ending up with the Giants. What percentage do you guys think that's going to happen? Oh, interesting, bold predictions. I guess, is your point about Landon Collins going to the Chiefs just out of curiosity simply because Spags is now the defensive coordinator? Is that why? Bingo, bingo, Landon. But remember, Perfect. I mean, he's not yeah. the GM, though, in fairness, Don. I mean, no, he's the I defensive coordinator. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, absolutely. the other thing you got to figure out is how's that going to happen? Is that going to happen through some type of tagging and then trading him? Or is that going to happen whereby the Giants just let him walk and he signs in Kansas City? I mean, that's right, P. Dot, which was going to lead to my last question too. But go ahead, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, uh, you're not interrupting. But but that that kind of has to be settled before you even contemplate your first question, doesn't it? Yeah, which was going to go to my next question. So I'm go ahead about that. Yeah, so, Maybe I so should finish up. But my last question, <laughs> my last question, P. Dot, how does like once the off season is over for the Giants? What is the chain of events that happens? Are the staff still there? Because, you know, for the, the fans, we have no idea what goes on in the building. So are they still doing meetings? Do they do finances? Do they look at their own players' budgets? Look who's going to be released, capped? And, and then at what point do they start going, like, full tune for the draft? Well, based on what – yeah, mm-hmm. Dave Gittleman, obviously, who took over this past year – uh, you know, obviously, my track record is more historic. I- I'm trying to feel my way through some of Dave's uh, newfangled ideas as well, because he certainly tweaked some things to his liking now that he's the Giants GM. Uh, what, what, right. I, what, what I can glean from what he has told us is that he was going to dig really deep into his own players for several weeks after the season was over by, he said, looking at tape till my eyes bleed, okay, that was going to be following a week of evaluations where he was going to get all the uh, files from the coaches, the position coaches and the head coach, as to how they graded their own players. Okay, so I guess in chronological order, Dave was going to start looking at film. Then by the end of that first week, he was going to get the evals from the coaching staff. Then he was going to continue to look at film. And however long that was going to take, his next order of business, as he explained it, was going to be delving into free agency and figuring out, okay, where are our finances? Who are we going to target to re-sign? What kind of numbers are we talking about? And how big a player are we going to be in free agency? And who do we think we can afford and who do we want to target? That was going to be the next part of what he was going to do. He had said to us that it would not probably be until February when he personally started to really dig into draft stuff because he had to deal with getting all the preparations for free agency out of the way first. And I can tell you that the Giants scouts, uh, they already came in to do their first round of concert meetings to figure out from a preliminary perspective what they were going to do at Senior Bowl week and Shrine week and what they're going to do as they go to pro days and combines. They've already had their first preliminary big-time draft meeting with the personnel department. Again, Dave how was... Many, how many ahead. of those do they have, PDOT, before they even hit address free agency? How many of those do they go through? Oh, well, they, the they're, they, they talk all the time, but the scouts as a whole did have like their own one-week brainstorming session. Before That's they crazy. sent them, before uh-huh. they sent them out to the All Star games. 
Yeah, and things Absolutely. are done simultaneously. I think is also important to know. Well, yeah, I mean, and no one ever. Phone call, yeah, Don, no one ever. So no one. Way. Hold on. Well, uh, you well know, I, I don't know if you wanted to follow up. Well, I was going to say that. Let's listen to the program. Okay. The point is, and and he's right about that. Nobody ever just closes the door completely on one subject and says, "I'm not going to touch it at yeah. all." Obviously, there are things fluid, and things are always in motion. But in terms of the emphasis, I think I've given you a pretty good chronology as to how it was going to work. Well, the scouts have been doing all the homework throughout the course of the college season, and then they're going to provide their perspective. Now, I think that the season's over. The actual assistant positional coaches have more time to delve in and look at some of the rookie class that the GM and the scouts want them to take a look at. During the regular season, offensive coordinators, linebacker coaches don't have the time to start looking at the college class. Let, let's be well, realistic here. They're focused on the matchups coming up every single weekend. And and let's not forget, too, the, the other thing that, that has to be done here, okay, um, you've also got a bunch of scouts who are now going to backtrack and do double checks on some of the guys that they maybe thought they had an opinion on, but maybe after their week-long brainstorming session, there were some questions that either they didn't have an answer to or they wanted to go back and review. Revisit, yeah. Okay, so now what happens, they go, they go to this All-Star game, they go to the Shrine game, they go to the Senior Bowl. Now it's like, okay, you know what? Now here's my list of double checks. Now, this week, I got to go back and I got to double check on those X number of guys that, you know what, a little question mark came up about. So double checks are also in play too. So it's not like once a, a scout looks at a player, he puts him away and that's it. Oh, I think I know what he is. That's it. I'm done with it. I'm finished. I'm wiping my hands of his file. That's not the case. Every file is still alive. And guys are always going back to have to revisit those those files. Well, and then players are going to have individual workouts where some of the positional coaches, members of the front office are going to actually watch the workout. So an opinion may change of a player. You're also going to have the interviews at the combine. That's going to influence it. But in terms of chronological order, free agency comes first. So they have to make sure they Correct. get all their evaluations done of the free agent market before they even start fully delving into the draft because they'll have time to do that once free agency dies down. And that's why these personnel departments, these front offices, have a pro personnel department yep. and a college personnel department, player evaluation, you know, um, because there's so much work to be done. You really have to kind of shelve it out you have to, delegate, to, to yeah. different guys and say, okay, look, pro personnel department, you guys – you know, deal with the free agency stuff. We got to deal with free agents coming up in the middle of March and just go wholeheartedly into that. At some point in time, you know, there'll be a meeting of the minds with everybody when Dave Gettleman has to mesh all this stuff together like a meatloaf. <laughs> okay. That's just the way it's going to be. But at this particular time, yeah, that pro personnel department is, is going nuts continuing to evaluate every piece of film they have and going over it and over it and over it again, trying to figure out. Also, by the way, having a mock of who they think is not going to be re-signed by their current teams around the league. You know, we sit here and we start talking about guys who whose contracts are up, who may be potential free agents, and say, okay, this could be a big linebacker pool or this could be a big defensive end pool. Well, Quite frankly, the Giants have people in pro personnel, just like every team does, and they're doing the same thing. And they're saying, okay, well, let's see. 
I don't think he's going to be resigned. I think he's going to get tagged. I think, you know, and, and they're... Well, they have a board, just like they do in the draft. You they do. There's a free agent board, just like a draft yeah. board. Mm-hmm. And you have to, because to your point, what's going to happen is, I've said this on the program tons of times, there's going to be that period of time before you can officially sign a contract, Paul, where guys are going to re-up with their own teams, and they're not even going to hit the market. March 11th, by the way, is the date whereby teams can legally talk to agents about pending free agents. Free agency begins March 13th. So within that period of time, you're going to see deals come to fruition. And even before that, when teams have an opportunity to negotiate with their own players, just like Bobby Massey, for example, recently, the Bears offensive lineman, he was given a four-year extension. So, you know, there's no chance of him now being able to test the market because he's already been locked up. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Nigel in Maryland. Nigel, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Gentlemen, gentlemen, uh, I have a, an opinion and I have two questions for you guys. Uh, okay. First, the first thing is um, once Snacks was traded, which basically amounted to a youth movement salary dump move, uh, focus kind of looked at, people started looking at OV and Jack Rabbit as since they were both uh, two big-ticket items on the same side of the ball that were signed by the previous regime to see if the same thing would happen along with them. I mean, it's still early. Anything's possible. But to clamor for that, the, the flip side to that is, okay, you get rid of those guys, you still have to replace those guys. Of course. So it's almost like, okay, let's get rid of them and save salary, but... I'm kind of the mindset is like, well, yeah, I understand, you know, OV hasn't, you know, he has had injuries and the availability issue and and things like that. And Jack Rabbit hasn't been able to duplicate his 2016 performance. But, I mean, those guys are still the best that you have. And if you let them go, you're in worse position that you are. And you're mm-hmm. still going to have to overpay if you go the, the free agent route. So I'm kind of the mindset to fortify what we have and then go from there. You raise the million-dollar question because you have to understand that there will be a hole to fill, as you said, if you get rid of those guys. So what you have to determine is what are the odds, if you get rid of a guy like that, that you will be able to replace him at a satisfactory nature by the pool that's going to be available to you either through free agency and the draft. And the draft is unknown at that point because if you let him go early in the free agency period, you don't know how the draft is going to play out. Then so. the other thing you got to do is once you determine whether or not you really want the guy back, now you have to figure out, okay, we want him back, but we'd like to redo his deal. And right. then you got to get cooperation from the player as to whether or not he's willing to do that. So... You know, it's not necessarily just as easy as do I want the guy back. It's do I want the guy back and can we come to an accord on what his numbers need to be? (laughs) Well, and related to your point, Nigel, I think it's important to understand, yes, they moved on from snacks and everybody treated it like it was a sign that they're tweaking the roster, rebuilding, however terminology you want to utilize it. The bottom line is they had Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill on the roster at the time, and they felt as if they had some young options who, with more playing time, could continue to thrive and develop and put them in a good position to be mainstays on the defensive line coming into 2019. With Jenkins and Vernon, I would say right now I don't think the Giants are in the same 
luxury position where they know for a fact that they have younger options that can easily come in, fill the void, and be potential starters game in and game out. So it's a little bit different, and you did hit on this, the dynamics between replacing Jenkins and Vernon versus the position they were in when they decided to part ways with Snacks. And you got to have plan B laid out before you all of a sudden you know, decide to enforce plan A. And it's a guessing game if you don't have a free agent in line and you also don't know how the draft is going to come out to play. By the way, the franchise uh, tag deadline for teams to tag players this year is March 5th. I didn't, didn't think we said that before. No, we, we did not mention that. that. Yeah. March 5th is the day for tagging guys. So that's something certainly that could be in play for Landon Collins. And then you usually have until about the middle of July to work out a long-term right. deal once you hit them with the tag. Did you have another point, Nigel? Yeah, just two quick yeah. questions. I'm going to give you guys each a GM hat, so it's going to be Doc Skettleman and Lance Skettleman for this one. Uh-oh. Sounds good. Yeah. I don't want the pressure. <laughs> question. Okay, so you're on the clock. You're at six. You got Haskins is still on the board. Pharrell is still on the board. Guy from Clemson. Yeah, the and defensive end. Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle from Alabama, is on the board. Who do you pick? That's, that's, pick, that's the question number one. And number two, you still got your GM hats on. Three top priorities you address during the offseason for the G-Men. And thanks a lot for taking my call. All right, Nigel. Appreciate the phone right. call. Thank you. Thanks for weighing in. Well, I mean, I'll start. I'm taking Farrell. That's it. Hands down. I'm taking the defensive end. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I was going to lean towards defense, whether it be Farrell, whether it be, you know, going in the direction of Clemson. I, I think right now those are the two most impactful players that you're looking at. Uh, I think the jury is still out with respect to the quarterback position. I think the jury is still out with respect to the offensive line position. And I think that the Giants need a pass rusher to come in and compliment Vernon. So, to me, it's a need fill, but it's also a good value fill. I think he could be... I, I saw enough of Clemson this year without getting into his cut-ups to think he could be a double-digit sack guy. I think, he, I think, I think he's... He's maybe not quite what Chubb was coming out last year. Chubb was a real bona fide blue chipper. I don't think he's quite there, but I think he's very close. He's a red chipper. How about that? Yeah. You uh, know, I, and I think it's six that's good value. I would agree with you. And it's a need, as you said as well. Well, and I think you got to weigh both of them. You don't stretch it for a need, but I think no, here need you don't. and value are in line with one another. As far as priorities, uh, pass rush, I would put probably as number one. In terms of the offseason, I'd put free safety as number two, and i put right side of the offensive line as three. Those would be, to me, my top three priorities if you're the Giants right now. And a combination of free agency and the draft, of well, course. Ed, ed, I'm not necessarily yeah. looking at it separately. Edge rusher, uh, right tackle, and just defensive back. Because I, I think equally they need another cover corner as much as they need a free safety. Well, with Eli Apple out of the picture, some younger options. But I also think, you know, who is going to be either next to Landon Collins or who may have to replace Landon Collins? I know we're speculating well, here. Well, that's why it's a tad early it, to say. Well, it is a tad early, but as it stands right now, you may have two question marks at safety. That's possible. Right? So two question possible. marks at safety, to me, is much more it's of a possible. priority than the right side of the offensive line. It's possible. I'm, I I can't. And I'm just going I, based on the unknown of right now. You know, of course, he, he he asks, he's asking us today. That's where I'm going today. But certainly I, I could understand it, and this is all fluid. Uh, I would say this, though. I'm going to go one step further. You asked me about who I would take at six, given those three players. So I'm going to take the Clemson defensive end at six. And uh, in all likelihood, based on everything that I've seen 
from people I've talked to, they'll be that plug-and-play offensive tackle at the top of the second round. So in all likelihood, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wind up taking the defensive end in round one. I'm taking the right tackle in all likelihood at the top of the second round. And I am trading up, okay, trading up, trading down. I'm not sure how Gettleman's going to do it. I'm going to make sure I get a third pick in the top 75 picks of this draft. I was telling people top 100. I'm going higher than that now. If I can get if I can get three picks in the top 75, that would be my goal because it would change my entire draft strategy as to how I go about it because I we, we've already indicated the, the, the uh, places of need. I need I need three picks so that I, I can address as many of those spots as, as possible. Well, and the Giants are going to have the volume of picks, and I think somebody called up on a previous show and said, you know, what's the likelihood of them utilizing all their picks? And to me, it's slim because I just don't see everybody making the roster. It's not going to happen. So what's the it's purpose? You might as well package two picks and see if you can move up. Uh, I think that, to me, is the smart plan. Plus, also, let's not forget, Sam Beal counts to me as part of this year's draft class. Correct. Because he was a redshirt player last year, taken in the supplemental draft. So no matter how you play out the mathematics, you've already had one member of the 2019 draft class on your roster already. Sam Beal, to me, is going to count towards 2019. I know logistically it may not be the case, but in my mind, Beal's part of the 2019 draft. He is. So you have to already have that Which, by the way, does lead to your wanting a safety more than a corner. Because you already have that corner on the roster. And I get that. Do we know, either one of us, do either one of us know not only how well he's going to do as a rookie, although I think the Giants have a lot of high hopes for him, do we even know if Janoris Jenkins is coming back? Well, there's a lot of He's under contract, but that's a guy who may or may not be desirable by somebody else who offers a trade, and maybe they decide to do that. So I'm going to just stay with defensive back at the moment. Just to be safe, I'm going defensive back. Let's go back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. want to try to squeeze a few more in. Mike is in Pennsylvania. Mike, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Lance, Paul, trying to make this as quick as possible. No problem. Hi. Hi, Mike. All right. I got a cap question for you, a uh, draft prospect, and I actually called to get a Sam Beal update on from you guys. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, real quick, though, I do want to make a note about Haskins before you clown him. Take into account Ohio State's strength of schedule this year, especially when Urban was suspended, and also the fact that he's surrounded by first-rounders from his wide receivers to his offensive line to his running backs. Have you listened to the show very often? Um, these past few days, I have not been able to. Okay, if, if you had, and I'm not trying to be a wise guy, you would know that I'm not taking Haskins. I'm not going anywhere near oh, him no, at I number six. And I don't think uh, I don't think Lance is either. Well, I don't think he's better than the top quarterbacks from last year's class, and, and that to me is p- important part of the conversation. Like I, I don't think Haskins is better than Mayfield, and I don't think he's better than Darnold right now, in my opinion. That doesn't mean that he's right. not better than any of the other quarterbacks in the class, but I'm weighing that. If I'm going to have the sixth overall pick, I, I want to see where he would line up in terms of what Mayfield and Darnold did their rookie years coming out of college and so forth. That, to me, is an important part of the evaluation. Uh, that was more directed towards your listeners and you guys. I, I Oh, okay. I, I hear you. <laughs> well, no, I, listen, okay. here's what I will say, and I, and I know you want to make another point, Mike. I think it's, first of all, Haskins was a, a true starter for one year. 
Okay, that that also can't be overlooked. Right. We, we don't have to win right. him over. No, he gets I know, it. no, no, no. I'm, he I'm, gets I'm, it. It's I'm okay. adding to his point. Yeah, but oh, everybody okay. listening to this program may have not listened to the last five programs. So, in fairness, even though it's a little repetitive, okay. he brought it up. I okay. think it's important okay. to at least expand a little. What I was going to say is, regardless of the strength of schedule point, Mike, that you brought up, it's still a small sample size. So, whether he lit it up or caved in those games, I still need to take into consideration a little bit more than just what he did in the span of three or four games. That's all I'm going to add. And I, I, I know I'm not saying you were trying to elevate him or sell him, but it's still a very small sample size is my point, whether it be good or bad results. But go ahead. Right. Well, I'm just wondering why he's only a one-year starter out of school that produces top-tier wide receivers that start under center. Yes. But and, and most weekends, Ohio State's playing a men-against-the-boys th- situation as well. Let's not kid ourselves. Right. Well, I mean, the across Big the Ten board, does they, have some good defense. They do, fairness. but across the board, they usually beat up on a lot of weaker people. Number right. of games have been lopsided. This year, though, it was more of an offensive clinic mm-hmm. because they didn't have Ohio State a very good defense. and. There yes. weren't necessarily a full load of good defenses. Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. All right, my cap question for you. So from my understanding, when a player goes on IR, a percentage of their salary isn't counted against the cap. I'm wondering if you can elaborate on that, and also does the salaries of players that miss games due to injury count against cap? Well, all, all money all money that goes on the cap is any of your guaranteed money and any of your, your bonus money that had to be paid out, that all goes on the cap. Now, the only money that doesn't go on the cap is appearance bonus money. For example, if a guy had incentives uh, that were game appearance related, like he had to play in a minimum of 12 games, and then any game after 12, he got X number of dollars as an appearance bonus. Well, if he doesn't play in those games, I'll give you a good example. John Beeson some years ago. If you remember, Beeson had a bad knee by the time the Giants got him from Carolina. And his contract had a bunch of triggers in it where he needed to play certain games or numbers of games to get certain portions of his contract fulfilled. When he did not play in those games, the Giants were able then to use that money as part of their you know, uh, liquid assets in, in the free agent pool because they did not have to pay out that money. So that does not get counted against the cap. In, the, in a way, it's a rebate or a refund because he didn't earn those incentives. That's, that's, I'm, I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but that is the easiest way for a team to get money back off of a contract. Well, what's the benefit of placing a player on IR then? There's not. Well, there isn't. It's uh, just, other than uh, he doesn't play, up, he well, can't get appearance bonus money because he's not going to play in games when he's on injured reserve. Correct, but the benefit is you need the roster spot. Mike. That too. So you have to open up the yeah, roster okay. spot. If a guy's yeah, going to be out for the season, they don't just give you now a 54th spot. You have to have the sacrifice. And, Correct. And, and, and here's the thing. If you're getting to this larger point, players that go on IR should absolutely still count against the cap because then you're going to put a team well, guys in an advantage— yeah, they could hide him, and not only that, but now now you're going to get to a point where every time a player gets hurt, you're get, saying, oh, well, you still have plenty of spending money to go out there and, and get whoever you need. No, there's got to be some limitations because that's what makes the salary cap so effective, competitive balance across the board. To clarify, some of these other that player gets his base, and he gets whatever his signing bonus was and whatever other bonuses he was able to earn by being a part of the team. What he won't get, are the appearance bonuses. There are some guys who have a clause in their deal that says, okay, you've got to be part of the act of 53 in X number of weeks to get this roster bonus, or you have to actually dress on Sunday. 
Because sometimes, you know, you can be Appearances, part of 53 starts, and not dress. Yeah. You're inactive. Yeah. Yeah. So now, oh, yeah, you did not actually get in the game. You don't get that appearance bonus. So, yeah, there, there are some monies that do come back to the team when you IR a guy if his contract had those clauses. And, Mike, we're going to let you go on that note because we want to try to still squeeze in one other call. I know his last question was about a Sam Beal update. Well, keep in mind, we're really not going to know much until the guys return for the spring workouts and see where players have gone about their business off the field, on the field, and so forth. The only thing that we did hear from Dave Gettleman last, Paul, was the fact that obviously he underwent surgery and he was continuing through his rehab process. He had been uh, at all the Giants' practices on the sideline. He was not allowed to go on the field. Which is part of the rehab. Okay, but he was allowed to watch. From what I have been told, very studious, terrific attitude, did all his book work, and, and they really are very, very high on him. And they believe that the shoulder operation that he had uh, going back to last summer was something that would fix whatever troubles he was having in college with the shoulder. So they think that the surgery was a success. He will be durable enough to play. And attitude-wise and in terms of picking up things as well as he could, again, albeit that he wasn't allowed on the field, they think he's maxed out his preparation as much as he could given the circumstances. So I believe the Giants are very much uh, high on him and expect him to put, put a lot on the field in 2019. All right, before we wrap up, let's head back to the lines. we got Coach Marvin in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? How you doing, Lance, Paul? Hey, Hi, Coach. What's on your mind? You hey, real quick, um, Sam Bill, very good ball. He, he plays the ball well at corner, so I'd be interested to see how he comes out uh, this year. So I'm, He's got I'm, a nice I'm, frame, Marvin. <laughs> He's got some length, too, and speed. Yeah, yeah, he's a slim guy. Uh, yeah. One thing I didn't – and sometimes that happens with corners because we don't practice a lot of tackling. He's not really a great tackler. Right. Well, and he's yeah. had limited work in pads over the last few months, too. So <laughs> No, he's had no work in pads. Re- <laughs> well, limited is, is putting it politely is what I'm saying. Yeah. He had, uh, he had, limited, he had limited time with pads on two lands. So yeah, well, he, absolutely. You know what, so though, Marvin? we're not going to know until we see him Marvin, back on I did right. talk to a, a college football head coach just a couple of weeks ago who played against Beal – when he was in his last year in college. And he said, Paul, I'm telling you, this guy was lights out. Not only did he look great on tape in the, in the three games that we had on tape and preparing for him, but then when we played him that day, his skill set and his athleticism, he said, I'm telling you, it was like he was on another level. We knew he was going to be a high NFL draft pick because he has covered skills. He was, he was projected this year to be a, a, a first-round pick. Yeah, Some, people first round. So. Some people thought yeah. so. Yep. Some people thought so. Some people did. The caller about the um, picks uh, at the sixth spot, at who you would pick, um, I mean, those are good choices. I think we're going to have four choices. But you have to say that Haskins is going to be one of those players of the four or five that they're looking at. And I think we, we have to sit and wait because if we put them down so much, it's going to be interested to get them and like them and pick them. How is everybody going to react? And I, that's why I said. We well, and we don't even know if he's going to be around. He could very well be taken before the Giants yeah. even select, too. Right. And if the Giants like it and fall in love with him, I'm sure other teams may do the same. So it's going to be a bidding war to get him 
I don't know if he's worth a bidding war, but if he's sitting there at six, you have to consider him. Marvin, here's what I will say. No matter how much I personally would not take him, for whatever reasons I have laid out, the bottom line is this. I believe in Dave Gettleman. I always have, and I've told you that guy about that guy for years. I'm a huge Dave Gettleman fan. I believe in his work ethic. I believe in his assertiveness. I believe in, in him being responsible to the job. And if Dave Gettleman is all in and picks him at number six, then I'm going to put my trust in Dave Gettleman that he made the right decision and that my opinion obviously is worthless because he's not going to listen to me anyway. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. Which is wise and, advice. And if, and if he picks him, and if he picks him, I'll get on the show and I'll say, hey, if Dave Gettleman believes in the guy, he must have something that's worthwhile, and good luck and God bless, and I hope it works out. I would not right. have made the pick, and I'll be here to yeah. tell you that. I'm, I'm not afraid right. to back down. I won't back down. I'm a paisan. I'm not going to back yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my, last, my last part I wanted to go over is that, you know, people talking about this game on Sunday, and as you know, I told you, I, you know, I was in New England. Um and, and as a coach, listening to everybody, the guy saying that the Rams are going to get blown out and all of this stuff, I would tell my guys, why are we showing up? Why are we playing? Right. I mean, we're playing the greatest team of all time, greatest coach, and greatest quarterback. Um, and then I would tell my guys, you know what's different, though, about this game? is that we're not playing baseball and we're not playing basketball. So there is no game seven for these guys. That's right. And yeah. two, and two, there is a way to stop them underneath because this team steps done it. If you look at the Kansas City game, a bad defense. Kansas City had that game won if it's not somebody offside. And then we're not talking about how good New England did certain things. The Kansas City did some things, some mistakes, some mistakes in their calls, but that doesn't mean that you can't take it away from New England for taking that game because, hey, the opportunity came and they right. took it. But I'm not comparing Kansas City defense to um, the Rams. They had a tough season. But one thing they do have, and New England knows they have him, is Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips been there. He yeah. did a game plan against them. It's the same team. Same game plan. New England does the same thing. They don't throw outside the numbers. No. Nope. Not often. Receivers. You press down on them, and you pressure him up the middle and give yourself a chance. That's all you have to do. But this stuff is blowing them out. It's like, my thing is, why am I playing? Well, listen, I don't think you need, at this level, though, Coach, I don't think you need to motivate your players. It's the Super Bowl. If they're not motivated enough, then something's wrong. Marvin, it goes back to what I said before, and you know this, being a coach for a lot of years, what did I say? The blueprint of how to beat a good team, if you're a good coach or coordinator, the blueprint's the easiest part. You can figure out the blueprint. The hardest part is how do you get your pieces to fit what that blueprint says you need to do? You know that. You put them in position. You put them in position. That's what you got to try to do. And sometimes you don't have the right players who can do those things, though. And that's where the real problem comes in. But, but Paul, to get to this game, you do have some players to do those things. And they may not do it excellent, but they do it good enough. When the Giants was in that game against them when they was undefeated, I'm a huge Giant fan. I lived in New England at that time. That was the happiest uh, two weeks of my life <laughs> going to the Super Bowl. But you know what? When that Sunday came, my stomach was bubbling because I thought that New England was going to pay them, pound them down. And the only chance I gave them is they can get to the quarterback. Other than that, 
there was no other chance we had. Well, I didn't see it offensively. I didn't see it defensively. Other yeah. than well, that's why playing the and, trenches is going to determine. And ultimately, the last part of the winning equation is always going to be execution. It always will be. That's right. Yeah. If you can execute with good players, they will. And when Lance will say they at a profession, you can't talk them up. You can talk them up because if you make them start believing, they're human beings. And once somebody starts believing. They will do anything in that moment. Well, but my, my point is, I, I don't think guys like Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and Dominican Sue, who have been around the league for quite some time, I mean, you can maybe say that they haven't been on the biggest stage, but the bottom line is they've been in big games during the course of their career. But, I mean, I don't think you need to play have, Eye of the Tiger, Rocky music or whatever you, you to, need, to sell them. You need Ric Flair, you need yeah. Rick Flair or Al Pacino in the locker room before the game, okay? And well, you got to tell those guys, it's a game of one. It's not a best of seven. It's a best of one, baby. Well, go out there and get it. And, and we'll let you go on that note, Coach Marvin. Appreciate you weighing in. They know because, listen, they've had one-game playoffs all throughout this run here. So it's not as if this Super Bowl is going to be any different. Right. And I do think it's a fair point. Wade Phillips has gone up against New England with his Denver defenses. I would argue, though, I thought Denver's defenses when he was the D.C. had a better secondary than what the Rams have to offer. There's no doubt in my so mind. So that, that also helps a lot. He had the pass rushers. He had the Von Millers. He had the Danny Trevathans. He had all those guys. He had a much better secondary. And if that D-line of the Rams doesn't get the kind of pressure That's we're talking about and the about. number of hits that we're talking about, that secondary won't hold up. And that and that's my biggest concern. All right. All right. That's going to wrap things up for us. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again on Friday, noon Eastern. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.